back to closer mentality. I'm your host, Julia Millett. When the Paralympics began in 1960, there were 400 athletes from 23 countries in attendance. 4,403 athletes from more than 100 countries competed in Tokyo 2020. I'm honored to bring one of those amazing athletes to episode 41 today. Before we begin, though, I want to thank this episode's sponsor, BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? All of the stories I've told thus far have been the vulnerabilities of elite athletes and team personnel. But what happens before they're comfortable speaking about some of the most difficult times in their lives on such a public forum? Nearly all of them have utilized either a sports psychologist or a therapist. Now I'm bringing that option to you, the listeners. If you've ever listened to a Closer Mentality episode and thought, I feel exactly the same way, I've partnered with BetterHelp to bring online therapy to your phone and computer. BetterHelp offers video, phone, and live chat options, and you can speak to a licensed therapist in less than 48 hours. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp has more than 20,000 licensed therapists around the country, and you have access to them at any time. You can get thoughtful messages from your therapist, and if you aren't happy, it's free to change. If you're worried about the cost of traditional talk therapy, BetterHelp also plans for that. They offer financial aid if funding is the only thing standing between you and getting the help you need. Join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. I have a special offer for all Closer Mentality listeners. You can get 10% off of your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com forward slash closer mentality. That's betterhelp.com forward slash closer mentality. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. The link is also in the show notes. Now, let's get into it. When Ali Jawad was born in Lebanon, he had a congenital defect that produced two undeveloped legs beneath his knees. At the time of his birth in 1989, the Lebanese doctor asked his father if they should end his life as growing up without legs seemed a hopeless existence in the current climate. When war hit Lebanon, the Jawad family fled to Great Britain in an effort to raise the children, including an infant Ali, on safe English soil. They continued watching the turmoil of their home country from abroad, and the Jawad children were taught to appreciate their newfound freedom. I think with what's kind of happened ever since I've left, um, we'd be, it would be pretty bad. Um, You've got, you know, you've got like the conflict with Israel, um, which is on and off. Just don't know when it's going to ignite again. You've got the kind of, uh, kind of politics. Um, we've got the government not being really good for the people. Um, hardly any money, no food, no jobs, uh, no opportunities. And I guess if I stayed, I think my life would have been well, completely different, probably the opposite. Um, so I'm lucky we, we got out of there. Jawad grew up in the greater London area and had a relatively normal childhood. Uh, I really enjoyed my childhood, so I guess I was lucky that um, my parents decided that they had the choice between um, a special needs school and the mainstream school. Um, and what they decided was that just because I had a physical impairment, they realised that I had a lot of potential. So they wanted me to be independent and kind of think by myself. So I went to 
a mainstream school that had no facilities uh, for disabled people. Um, they had lots of stairs, no ramps, no lifts. And they said, right, go and adapt because that's life. Um, so, yeah, like I felt that was normal at the time. But obviously looking back, I'm like, that wouldn't be for health and safety. That school would not have accepted me, but they did back then. Uh, but I guess what it did was it kind of, yeah, like made me um, get through things quite easily. So, um, but it, what it also did for me was that I was so confident in my ability that um, nobody teased me about my disability. I was always in the popular group. Um, I was, yeah, I was one of the popular kids in school, so I was quite lucky. Obviously, I knew that I had no legs compared to everybody else. So I was the only disabled person in school. Um, and I guess that made me popular just for that reason. Um, but I think what it made the, a, lot of the, a lot of the kids realise is that just because I was disabled, it doesn't mean I couldn't do anything they were doing. Uh, in fact, I was, you know, like playing football with them at playtime and lunchtimes and doing well in school academically. And I was getting involved in um, like physical education lessons. Um, so, yeah, I was very, very sporty. And I think they saw the potential of someone with no legs and they thought, actually, he's normal. We don't have to treat him any differently. In fact, he's normal, but actually he's got a few gifts that we haven't. And, uh, and I think that's what made it like quite easy for me. As he grew up with a physical disability, he never framed his endeavors and goals in a way that made them unreachable. His parents prioritized the success above all mentality into their children, and Jawad fell right in step from a young age. I think my, my parents always installed in me to always try to reach my potential no, no matter what. It wasn't about competing against others, it was about kind of finding my own way to what potential looks like for me. Um, and I, obviously, from a very young age, wanted to go to the Paralympic Games and that's what I wanted and I thought right how am I going to get, gonna get there and what path am I going to take and that's what drove me to be better within myself. Jawad played a variety of sports throughout his primary schooling including soccer and track. When I was like really it was all about football so I was soccer in the US I guess. Um, obviously I played in goal because I had no legs so I was a goalie um, and because it was five aside the goals were a little bit smaller so I could reach the top. Um, obviously, it'll be a problem if it was full-size goals because obviously I've got no legs, I can't jump. Um, but yeah, like, I was, I did, I did like athletics, and when I was eleven, that was my first real love of sport in terms of uh, at most competitive level. So I did judo for four years, um, and that was the sport that I thought was going to get me to the Paralympic Games, uh, but it obviously wasn't. Jawad began judo when he was in middle school. He thought that the martial arts were a path to get him on a Paralympic stage. When I was competing, I was doing very well, um, like going to competitions every couple of weeks nationally, but also winning major championships at junior level for age group internationally. Um, so I actually was really, really good. Um, so when I was 11, I gave up um, kind of four days a week after school to train, plus balance my school studies on top. and. Yeah, I generally thought it was going to be the sport that was going to take me to the Games. Um, but unfortunately, um, when I was 15, um, we found out that, because obviously um, I was born with uh, no legs, uh, there was no classification for me in judo at the Paralympic Games. It's only for visually impaired and blind, so I had to actually quit judo. But that was, that was heartbreaking, not, not, not being able to get there. He was fully convinced that his dream of competing on an international stage had dissipated when judo was no longer on the table. Now armed with far too much free time and a need to express himself, Jawad took a friend up on an offer to work out at a nearby gym after school. To be honest, um, I actually kind of decided that potentially there'll be 
my, my kind of Olympic, well, Paralympic dream was no more. Um, so my parents from a kind of Arabic background, they were very like academically driven, uh, especially with somebody who like was disabled. They wanted me to use my brain and not sport. They thought there was no money in sport at the time. So um, when I quit judo, I concentrated on my final year exams. Um, and I think, I think in America, I think it's gradu like graduation year, senior year. That was, that was my senior year. Um, so I was kind of working just to get like the best grades possible. Um, but it was actually one of them, after one of them exams, um, my friend kind of suggested we go to the gym across the road from the school, uh, a gym that I've never been to before or I've never lifted weights in my life. Um, I didn't really want to go because didn't think gym was for me. Um, but he kind of forced me to go with him because uh, I think he wanted like support. And uh, yeah, got to the gym and on my first ever day there, I managed to bench press 100 kilo, which I think is probably like 210, 220 pounds. Uh, for somebody that was 15, that never gymmed in his life. Apparently that was quite good. While he grew his strength, Jawad was formatting how to tell his parents that his dream of competing in the Paralympics was back on the table. My dad thought it was just a phase of me just going to the gym. They didn't even think it was competitive. They thought, well, he's 16. He probably wants to look good for the girls. So he was going to go to the gym every day. And yeah, my dad came to like pick me because obviously like the gym was like opposite the school. So I just go to the gym by myself, but I'd pick him up afterwards. So my dad would always pick me up from the gym thinking that it was just somebody going to the gym, um, not realizing the uh, what I was actually doing. Um, and I suggested that I think it could take me to the games. Um, well, they said, what about college? You still have to go and get the grades and they still demanded that from me, so I did both. His work in the gym paid off when Jawad's powerlifting caught the eye of the gym's owner. Yeah, so the, the way it works in the UK is um, you get kind of spotted by like a coach in the gym maybe, and then you kind of train, um, kind of train by yourself about no support network in terms of like national team. And then obviously you start competing at national competitions and you try, then you get spotted, right, if you do well. And what happened was, was that the owner of the gym used to be the national coach 20 years ago. So he was a very old man with a lot of experience, so he can see talent. Um, I didn't want to pursue powerlifting. I didn't think it was for me, especially when I found out what I had to lift just to qualify for the Paralympics. So I had to, obviously I lifted 100 kilo on my first day, but just to get to the games and my body weight, I needed to like lift 180 kilo. Now for a 16 year old looking at that thinking, that's 80 kilo more than I'm doing now. So nearly double. Um, and apparently the power of thing is a, an old person sport because it takes so long to develop strength levels at that sort of level. So I didn't know if I wanted to commit to a sport where it's going to take me seven years just to make the games. Um, they convinced me that, you know, I've got a lot of talent. I should come back and, yeah, I was lucky that within 18 months, uh, I was at the Paralympic Games. We did it. As it turned out, that day his friend dragged him to the gym across the road forever changed the course of Jawad's life. In only a matter of months, a 19-year-old Jawad was qualifying for his first Paralympic Games in 2008 in Beijing, China. He was in for the ride of his life. The night before competing, Jawad felt terribly ill with flu-like symptoms. But he shook it off as a byproduct of staying in the village with hundreds of other athletes from different cultures. The thing is that the Paralympic village is quite big, um, you're, but you're there with different cultures, different countries, 
different routine, different food. Um, and you try to keep a sense of normality of how you lived in the UK. Uh, but unfortunately, with that many athletes in a confined area, you are going to get a few bugs, just how it is. Uh, and I just thought that, you know what, I got unlucky, got a bug, and um, I, I'll learn from it. I'm only young, it's my first games, and I was never expected to medal for my first game, so I was there for the experience. And yeah, I, I genuinely thought it was just a bug. Didn't realise what was about to happen uh, when I got back. His first Paralympic competition found him falling short of the podium, but landing in a top 10 finish. When he got back to the United Kingdom and the symptoms hadn't lessened, he visited a doctor and was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, a chronic illness that targets the lining of the digestive tract. So obviously when I, when I came back from Beijing, um, I got diagnosed with Crohn's nine months later. Now, I, I didn't know what Crohn's disease was at the time. I just thought like, give me some medication, I'll be on my way. Uh, not thinking how it was going to change me. And um, when the consultant said, this is about to change your life and you can't cure it. Um, and you need to really seriously consider about your career because the disease is so unpredictable that you just don't know when you're going to flare, no matter what you do to prevent it. And also the side effects of the medication. The medications are very, very, they're not great for you. Um, and they haven't really got much data back then on athletes with Crohn's at that sort of level. So when I did my research, um, yeah, like, no Crohn's sufferer had ever won a medal at any Olympic or Paralympic Games um, at the time. So I knew I was in for a, well, I knew it was going to be difficult. Um, and the best finish, I think, from a Crohn's sufferer was 10th. And I think it was an American rower. Um, so I, I kind of watched her on YouTube and she kind of said that uh, if it wasn't for Crohn's, she, well, Crohn's didn't like allow her to reach her potential. And I realized that actually this is quite serious now. And, uh, I'm gonna, this is gonna be an uphill struggle. Um, but the way I prepared for it was, well, we couldn't, we couldn't base it on science because there's no science out there at the time. So I had to become my own guinea pig. So it was trial and error, trial and error, trial and error until we got some sort of stability. Facing the second huge roadblock to success, Jawad set out to prove this statistic wrong. He struggled through training, but he found that the daily minutia of living with Crohn's, instead of the constant training, was what kicked his brain into exhaustion mode. What it did was it kind of made me compete in, a, in an easier way. A competition became e like the easy part, uh, but actually getting to that competition was the hardest part because you're kind of fighting for your health on a daily basis. So I felt that I could kind of deal with any challenge in competition quite easily uh, because I'm under pressure to live every day. Um, so it became this, this kind of how do you became resilient on a daily basis and that became your norm. So in competition, it's easy because actually you're there to enjoy it. You've got there, you've managed to get there kind of unscathed and uh, you're there just to enjoy it. And hopefully put in a performance that justifies all the work you've done. So actually it made me yeah, way more resilient. The combination of Crohn's and Paralympic hopes made Jawad constantly tired, but he was used to working through adversity. When he worked with physicians, they all said the same thing. He was putting his health on the line by testing the limits and continuing to work out. Your body is always, always tired. Um, it's always in pain. There's always something wrong with it uh, because you're not supposed to push yourself to that extreme with a condition that, you know, is, you know, it's, it's tough to deal with. So um, it was, it was hard to kind of uh, balance the kind of the symptoms of Crohn's with the medication on top and then having a training program that's going to get you to that sort of level. Um, 
it was quite, it was very painful at times, but I think the, what I wanted to prove was actually like, you can push it to the limit and still get there. Um, but I wouldn't suggest that anyway, just, that was just me. Um, I would never, do not take my medical advice, trust me, I've uh, taken too many risks. He adopted a mindset that forced him to continue pushing through the pain and discomfort. He had found something that he was innately good at, and it was too early to lay all of his work down and walk away. He made the British national team and began traveling to international competitions. And from there, it was all uphill. So if there's an obstacle, I'm like, you know what, I just have to adapt and go on with it. And uh, there's no complaining because complaining wastes time and I've got no time to waste. Unfortunately, the people around me were a little bit more, uh, let's just say, hesitant uh, with what I was doing. So I pulled myself away, uh, lived away from home because I wanted to, that kind of that space. And I was lucky that with the national team, you get all the support possible. So um, we started doing things very scientifically, uh, monitoring me my symptoms, uh, training programs, how I felt on a daily basis. We adjust the training programs accordingly. Um, so I had the best support on the national team to make sure we did it from a data-driven kind of uh, path rather than how I felt. I think before 2012, um, it wasn't really that scientific with me. It was just you train hard, you get you get through your symptoms um, and you just get on with it where kind of... After 2012, we sat down and said, right, how can you now reach your potential of a condition that seems to get worse? Um, so they found me the best, best medication, the best consultants, um, the best nutritionists, sports scientists, physios, and they all worked together um, to come up with a, you know, a big plan. And um, yeah, obviously after 2012 was pretty much my successful period for three years. Uh, I guess that proved that um, science does, does work. Prior to London 2012, a 21-year-old Jawad was told that he needed emergency surgery to remove an inflamed section of his large intestine. He was told to prepare his family and friends for the worst outcome. But when he woke up after a successful miracle procedure in 2010, he had his sights set fully on the 2012 Paralympic Games. He qualified for the London Games, but as with everything else up to this point, it wasn't easy. He narrowly missed the podium again, with a controversial fourth place finish. A controversial refereeing decision to deny me a medal that day. Um, we, I still don't know what truly happened. Um, I guess when you're in it, you don't really know what, what, what was said and how what was said and what decision was made. But yeah, unfortunately, um, going into the last lift, I had to get it um, to win a silver. Um, but I lost the bronze on body weight. So body weight meaning that I was the heavier man that lifted the same. So lifted the same as the bronze medal, but the guy was lighter than me. Um, but my last lift should have been a lift. Uh, if you look at the context of what lifts were given that day, um, I still believe that. Um, so, so yeah, it was just a controversial refereeing decision and um, I, had, I had to accept it. Accepting defeat was difficult for Jawad, especially when success was fully within reach. It was at this point that he almost hung up his dreams. It was incredible because after 2012, I wanted to quit and retire completely. Um, I got convinced to come back and um, it was justified. I think because we did things so differently within that cycle in terms of everything was more data-driven and scientific, um, it just gave me a chance. Um, and things, I think, the underlying thing was if they can just get me healthy, um, I'm tender enough to pull it off. Um, and yeah, I had three years of 
yeah, probably, you know, like probably the best three years of my career. Two years later, he found himself in Dubai, winning a gold medal at the 2014 IPC Powerlifting World Championships. This reinvigorated his drive as he took home a world record lift, 190 kilograms, or about 420 pounds. Yeah, I think I think as an athlete, you always you always remembered on your major championship wins, um, and obviously in 2014, the world championships have got gold, and then at the Commonwealth Games, which is our ma another major championship that we have um, for Team England, I broke the world record there. So I was actually flying and. You know, I think the Paralympic Games in 2016, it was the one medal that I didn't have in my collection. That was the one major I didn't have. So winning the Europeans was a step to try and get the full set. Um, and that's what I kind of thought about after the Europeans. Obviously, it was a good win, but I felt like I'm one medal away from competing the whole set. And uh, that, was, that was the end. So th there was one thing as a kid that I always got from people, and that was Ali's got loads of potential. Um, the issue that I had was I never really... Um, never really achieved that potential back then. Uh, and I think when I got my new coach, she said, I'm sick and tired of that word potential in you. When are you going to show that potential? When, when are we going to get out of you? And I think 2014 justified, like one, why I carried on. But it also meant that I, you know, I, I felt like I could be the first crone sufferer to do this at, at the Paralympic level, to actually win a medal, um, knowing that Obviously, in 2009, it, you know, like I got told to completely retire because no one's ever done it. So it gave me the confidence of actually dreaming um, of, yeah, of, of actually doing it. His world championship was followed swiftly by another gold medal at the European Championships in Hungary in 2015. He was officially on a roll. With a Paralympic win on the tip of his tongue, Jawad set out to complete the set at Rio 2016. He became the first Paralympic crone survivor to medal when he finally found himself on the Paralympic podium with a silver medal around his neck. The performance itself wasn't my best performance. Um, considering what shape I was in, I was probably in the best shape I've ever been. So that, that performance was a little bit disappointing. Um, but I guess that was probably my fault because I guess I kind of um, just wanted a medal and didn't really care about the performance. Uh, especially after what happened in 2012 where you can probably argue my performance in 2012 was a better performance in Rio. Um, but obviously, you know, I came fourth there. So going into it, I knew I was in great shape, but I just wanted a medal. Didn't really care, like, how I did it, how I got there. Uh, people won't remember the performance. Um, I guess I felt like, you know, I was finally free from the ghosts of London um, in terms of, you know, kind of burying them. Um, and also, yeah, completing the Grand Slam and major championships is good too. But yeah, I think, I think, uh, yeah, that that performance could have been a lot better than what it was. Equipped with his first Paralympic medal, Jawad wasn't ready to slow down. He had captured every major competition over the past three years. This was what he had worked the past decade for. His body had other plans. I generally thought that I'd probably gotten through a lot of the hard stuff. Uh, pre-2012, uh, not realising that, well, not realising that after Rio, that was probably going to be me at my best probably forever, um, not thinking what was going to happen next. So when I came back from Rio, um, I think after a few months, I had the biggest flare-up of my Crohn's I've ever had. Um, 
didn't compete for 18 months. Um, like really, really sick, thinking that potentially my career was probably over. Um, and then in kind of, we tried different medications and you know things just weren't working. And then in late 2018, um, we kind of had two options on the table. Uh, one was a, a stoma bag to be inserted. Um, and the other one was a, a stem cell trial, which lasts about a year uh, that required um, some, well, medium to aggressive chemotherapy. Um, but with both options, I had to probably retire. And there's no way back with them options. Um, and obviously I felt like, you know, I had a few questions that I had to think about before I kind of made the choice. And that was, have, have I kind of done enough of my career to walk away happy with what I've done? Uh, two, um, do I think I could do well in Tokyo if I pushed it? But also at the same time, if I do push it, how, how much worse am I going to get? Uh, and that, that was the danger. Like we were talking about, you know, if potentially it could get fatal. Even potentially, um, that's what I was pushing at. So I went home and within 24 hours, I decided what I was going to do. Um, I decided that I think a medal would, a medal would have been impossible to get in Tokyo anyway, with what I was going through like physically. But I wanted to kind of do it on my terms. Um, when I was kind of nine, when I, when I got diagnosed with Crohn's, I promised myself that Crohn's wouldn't be the reason I retired, it would be the reason that I carried on. Um, but it also meant that going out on my terms and not its terms. So I went back to the consultant and said, um, I want to go to Tokyo. So I'm going to delay these options uh, and we're going to try find a med another medical route, which has never been done before at this level. Um, very risky um, at the time. Very kind of didn't realize how hard it was going to be in terms of what my body was going to go through, how frustrated we were going to get, uh, and didn't realize how much I was going to deteriorate in the two years leading up to the games. Um, and it became of, it became of kind of knowing that, accepting that I was never going to medal and actually fighting just to qualify. And qualifying for me had to be my medal uh, if I got there. Uh, and it was very touch and go until the last qualifying event. Prior to the Games in a delayed 2021 Tokyo, the final qualifying event held in May pushed Jawad to confront how much longer his career would last. And to put it into perspective, I benched 190 kilo in Rio for a silver, and just to qualify, I benched 170 kilo, so I was way down. Uh, but the fact that I made it after everything that's happened uh, for me was a yeah was a good was was good enough. Um, but yeah, it was it was very tough. His qualifying 170 kilogram lift did its job to qualify him for Tokyo 2020, but his body was actively failing him. He struggled through the qualifier in Georgia and headed to Japan with his eyes no longer in reaching the podium, but on proving to himself that neither Crohn's nor the rest of the adversity he had faced in his life would hold him back. He ended up placing sixth in his fourth Paralympic Games and was more than happy to be among the elite one more time. Well, I said I said to a lot of people I didn't, I didn't want to come last. I came sixth. So actually, um, considering what happened to me, pretty good. Um, obviously not like, you know, when I was my best, but my body's been on, on such a negative transformation since Rio that uh, sometimes eventually you run out of wild cards, and I did. 
When he returned home from Japan, he had to refocus his sights on physical health instead of athletic excellence. He was suffering from Crohn's symptoms and the odds were stacked against his continuation in the sport. When I, when I came back, I thought to myself, you know, you're only 32. Uh, you're very young for the sport because it's a very old man's sport. Um, people retire in their 40s. And if you look at the numbers that won gold in Tokyo, my performance in Rio would have won it. It would have won. Uh, so I've always known I was good enough to win it. I just have to be healthy. Now, what I've decided to do is not make a rash decision. Um, have a break from Paralympic competition for, for a year. Um, and focus on my health solely and see if we can find a solution. Um, but I won't make that decision until I know that I'm one, I'm healthy and two, that I'm consistently feeling okay before I make that decision. So I think by the middle of next year, I'll make that decision uh, for either way. Now he meets with consultants tomorrow to figure out if his career is over or not. He's facing a permanent colostomy bag, effectively signaling the formal end to his powerlifting career. I will find out. Uh, I'm kind of like a nightmare for consultants um, because I try to push the boundaries to things they're not really used to. Um, I, I guess in my head, it's like we have tried everything um, and I've only got one more option left and that's a stoma bag. And if, if it means that it is a stoma bag, then my career is over. Uh, but I accepted that three years ago. Um, so it's not gonna be a shock. Um, however, you know, that he could give me some hope, um, but we'll see. Um, to be honest, like, if I had to retire tomorrow, I think I'd be proud of what I've done before. Um, but who knows, it might be that I'll have another three years if I've managed to get to, get to health. While he takes a break from powerlifting and the Paralympic training programs, he's been hard at work developing a fix for an issue he's been facing since the day his friend dragged him inside the gym for the first time. Um, during lockdown, I think people have more time to reflect and think and they've just got more time on their hands, right? Um, and I, I was just started my PhD, so I was doing a lot of writing and researching and uh, trading in my living room because obviously I couldn't have access to a gym. Um, and I felt like, so yeah, so I think I went to bed that night, like my brain was in overdrive. Um, and I always thought to myself, like, when I was growing up, I never asked the question of why don't disabled people go to the gym? I was, I was like, when I was growing up, I was the only one in the gym that was disabled. And I didn't really ask why. Um, I thought, well, is it me just being more adaptable? Are there barriers that are stopping people? Um, I didn't, I didn't know. Um, and I thought to myself, has things changed in 15 years? And the answer is probably not, they haven't changed. And uh, I kind of had this dream of um, going into my gym and there was this disabled person that was struggling in the gym. And I approached her and said, oh, do you need any help? And she said to me, no one can help me, not even you. And then I woke up and I was like, oh my God, she's right. Um, yeah, and I was like, right, how do I, how do I help? Um, so I went online and I thought, that, you know, obviously we, we have loads of the tech industry like is so like big now with loads of fitness apps. Like when it comes to the tech, I think fitness apps make the bulk of the percentage. 
Um, so I thought to myself, how can I make exercise accessible to the cell people with a kind of without them barriers? Um, how can I? How can they gain knowledge? And and how can I empower them into kind of kind of pursuing their own exercise journeys? Now we're not talking about them becoming elite para athletes. We're talking about them becoming healthy human beings um, and taking like responsibility for it, rather than relying on people that have no clue. So, did my research and I felt I thought surely there's a fitness app out there for disabled people. Surely, like someone's come up with the idea. Don't be silly, Ali. And then after like two hours, and this was like five o'clock in the morning, by the way, um, I thought, wait a minute, there's actually nothing out there like this. I thought I could do this, couldn't I? if I put my mind into it, because I think I know what the needs are, obviously being disabled. Um, so I called my manager and I said, look, this is my idea. Do you think it's nuts? And he said, oh my God, let's do it. Jawad's app, Accessorize, is linked in the show notes. It's currently out only in the UK, and Jawad expects it to be in New Zealand and the United States soon. Yeah, it's just weird because I, I knew I wanted to create a fitness app for disabled people. But when it came to the features, I had to actually think about it. Um, so I had to actually sit down and actually go, right, what do I want out of this in terms of, you know, how can we make things accessible? What features can we put in? Um, and, the, and the big thing for me was, you know, having kind of video exercises or a catalogue of exercises that were performed by somebody of your impairment, just little things like that. Um, or a community-based section where you, you know, kind of update your followers on your fitness journey, or you get to talk to other impairments about exercise in general. Um, and I thought, well, how do we bridge the gap between gyms and disabled people? Well, what about, you know, we have a accessibility rating scale in the app where users can rate their local facilities and gyms in terms of accessibility. Uh, so when you're searching for gyms, you go, well, actually that's four out of five star. It means it's actually quite good. I want to go there. So actually, you're driving disabled people to gyms, um, depending on the accessibility of the gym, because they get to rate it themselves. So I knew then features had to be in there um, for it to kind of work. Lockdown has given him ample time to figure out the next course of action. But right now, Jawan is just happy to wake up each day without pain. Even if his Paralympic journey comes to an end, Jawan's proud of how far he's come. The little boy who dreamt of standing on the Paralympic podium one day would be so proud to see him now. Thanks for listening to episode 41 of Loser Mentality. As always, I'm your host, Julia Mellet. I want to thank Ali for coming on the podcast to share his story. I'm so grateful that I can continue to tell stories like his that span the globe and human nature. If you've enjoyed this episode, head to the show notes and fill out the survey so I can continue to bring awesome content each week for the foreseeable future. If you or someone you know has a story to share, send us a direct message on Instagram at CloserMental. You can also follow Ollie's journey on Twitter at OllieJawad12. I have another great episode coming out next week when Tegan Rashi comes on to talk about her experience quitting Division I athletics and the mental fallout that no longer putting on a uniform presents. But until then, see you next week. Mm-hmm.